afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port in here on your Monday. You're listening live on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. Natil, how are you doing? Doing pretty good today. Glad to hear it. Have a good weekend. I did. I played a lot of video games over the weekend. Did a lot of catching up on laundry and things like that. Whenever you have to, whenever you have to, whenever you have to wash the linens, it seems like there's a billion more loads of laundry than there are. I had because you know I I have kids obviously, and the thing about kids is they grow up fast, and so they move through clothing quickly. And I had reached a point in my son's room, in my daughter's room, and mostly my son's room, because obviously he's he's well, he's going to be two here next week. So he's growing rapidly. He's growing well. He's growing rapidly, but also like I still dress him, right? Uh, my nine-year-old, not so much. Um, and so I was in his room, and I, I felt like I couldn't ever find anything, to, you know, that that he could wear. Um, I felt like you know everything I found was too small or whatever. And so I was thinking, you know, what? I got to get this kid some clothes. And so I, I cleaned out, and I, I had, like, three garbage bags full of his little toddler clothes. Uh, and, and I found out, no, he actually has plenty of clothes. He just had so many, a huge amount of clothes that just needed to be moved out. Anyway, that was my weekend, pretty much. <laughs> the thing is, because I, I, I have, you know, I have four sisters, and we have grandmas, and we have everybody else that are buying this kid clothes all the time. And it's I, he he maybe wears a wardrobe once, maybe twice before we're we're just done with it and moving on. It's it's amazing. I, although I should be thankful that so many kids are buying my people are buying my kids clothes. That's a good thing. Um, coming up a little bit later in the program, we're gonna have David Flynn on, UND economist. We have David on a lot. Uh, he testified at the legislature. We all you know we all came through this situation with the budget the budget situation earlier this year, right? And a big part of that is, I mean, obviously that's over and done with. The legislature made their cuts. The governor signed off on them. And, you know, we're, we're, we're living with this new normal now. But I think the question is, is how do we maybe avoid that in the future? How do we, how do we get to a point where we're not in such a, you know, find ourselves in such highs and lows in the budget process? And I, I think a big part of that equation is forecasting. But how can we forecast right? Because the legislature, they don't spend money that they have. They spend money that they're forecasted to have. So when the forecasts are wrong, they're in trouble. Anyway, David Flynn testified before the legislature earlier or last week talking about how to improve that process. We'll talk with him a little bit later in the program coming up at 1.30. Uh, also, you can call in 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Um, now, because it's Sunday night, Natil, and it's this time of year, that means HBO shows to me. Uh, particularly Game of Thrones. Are you a Game of Thrones fan? I am to an extent. Um, I've been reading the books, and I'm very adamant that I read the books before I watch the series. Okay. Um, partly because I know that there's a point in the series at which they start sort of... They start very, to diverge. Yeah, they, yep. they diverge from the books, and I, I don't want to reach that point in the series and then go back and read the books and find out that that was wrong or whatever. I'd rather read the source material first. Yeah, so... Anyway, I, I, I think HBO does a good job with their shows, and I think Game of Thrones is very good. Now now that we're out sort of past, you know, we're so far beyond the books, right, because we're doing Winds of Winter stuff that hasn't even been – he's not – George R.R. R. Martin's not done writing me that book yet. So I feel like the writing's gone downhill a little bit, but it's still, it's still very, very good, and I enjoy it. And I enjoy HBO shows in general. I, I, I think HBO, they're just – they're good. It's good stuff. 
I, I enjoy it. I think they generally do a good job. I generally find myself liking most of their their original series. Um, and there's a new one coming out. Have you heard about this? The new show, and it, it's actually by the two showrunners of Game of Thrones, and it's it's coming out. It's called Confederate, and it's sort of a sci-fi alternate history, uh, sort of a the, the South wins the Civil War. And slavery survives into the modern era. And, and I guess, according to the description, this is supposed to be the the interlude between and, and the lead up to the third civil war. And it's it, I guess it's sort of an interest. I, I, and it's interesting. I, I like this sort of science fiction. Um, I've always been a, a fan of the author Harry Turtledove, who writes a lot of alternate history about like World War Two and World War One and, and even, yes, the Civil War. Uh, and it's 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 good stuff. Uh, I, I like it, but there has risen up this backlash, and it's a it's a, it's a hashtag movement, of course. This backlash against this show before it's even out. This is from the Hollywood Reporter. I quote: "A grassroots campaign against the upcoming slave drama hit number two on Twitter's worldwide trending topic Sunday during Game of Thrones, following a massive social media campaign urging HBO to abandon its upcoming slave drama Confederate." The premium cable network has responded to the outcry. Now, Natil, this is a very interesting response. Listen to this. We have great respect for the dialogue and concern being expressed around Confederate. We have faith that the writers, Nichelle, Dan, David, and Malcolm, will approach the subject with care and sensitivity. The project is currently in its infancy, so we hope that people will reserve judgment until there is something to see. Now, this this is what's just remarkable to me. So, so you have this this hashtag movement, millions of people taking to the Internet to decry a show that hasn't even been made yet, Natil. The show, the show's not even been made yet. It, it doesn't exist yet because in, it touches in, in, on sensitive material. In, in anything other than a concept, it doesn't exist yet. It, it hasn't been written. It hasn't it certainly hasn't been broadcast. There's nothing. Why can't people just wait until it comes out? Why? I and I, I mean it, it's it's amazing to me because it's like nobody even stops to ask that question anymore. Have you even seen it? What are you criticizing? I mean, what specifically do you not like about it? And, and let me tell you, this has been done before, right? The the whole Civil War alternate history, maybe the South wins the Civil War. What would it look like had the South been able to pull it out? Had the South win? What would the, what would the United States look like going forward? Would slavery survive? I think these are interesting things worth exploring that might give us some insight into how things actually happened, the real history. This has been done before. There's all sorts of books out there. Harry Turtle Dove has done lots of them. My favorite's Guns of the South. Excellent book if you ever want to read it. But I, I don't know. I, I mean, it just it just floors me that people react this way. Before a show even airs, they're calling for it to be canceled. By the way, Natil, did you watch that uh, that Amazon series, The Man in the High Castle? It's based on the Philip K. Dick novel. Uh, of the same name it's it's actually it's an alternate history about world war ii where the axis wins and america is divided up between japanese fascism and german fascism they did an alternate history there i don't remember the same sort of outcry certainly nazis are every bit as sensitive as white slave owners southern slave owners why would where was the outcry during that show i don't get it 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. I want to hear from you. Why do people do this? Why are people doing this with this show? 
And, 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 and why are we taking anybody seriously who is calling for something to be canceled that doesn't even exist yet, that they haven't even seen yet? 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. You're listening to The Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM. You, you know what this is, Natil? What, what's driving a lot of this stuff? I, people call it, it's political correctness, and I mean, that's political correctness run amok. I mean, that's the term we always use. But I, I think it's more specific than that. You, you know what it is that's driving this? Internet populism. That, that That's what this is. Social media, this is, this is populism in its purest form where everything is democratized and I'm, I'm here in America. We think, we think democracy is, is always a good thing, right? I'm here to tell you it's not, not when you open the doors and all of a sudden we're voting on everything. And that's essentially what we're doing with social media, right? We're voting on everything. Don't like something. Then see if you could, you know, gather up a posse, a social media mob on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, and pound people into submission, cancel the shows you don't like, Fire the people you don't like. I mean, we, we saw it just last week when we had that ugly incident in the, the, the Walmart parking lot where the woman was screaming at the, at the Somali women and threatening to kill them. And, I mean, that, that was an ugly situation. And what did the Internet do? They went after that woman's employers. It, that's populism. That's what it is. It's basically just the mob. Social media has become a mob. And I talk about it all the time, and it keeps manifesting itself in ugly ways. And I, I, I don't know that there's a solution. I, maybe this is just what our society is now. Did you ever, Nortil, did you ever read in, in, in high school Ray Bradbury's Fahrenheit 451? Um, I don't believe we read Fahrenheit 451. I read it recreationally, but yeah. I don't think we read it as a class. Oh, okay. Well, the thing about that book that, that a lot of people miss is that we assume that it's sort of about like government censorship, right? That's what that's what everybody kind of takes away. But if if you if you read the story closely, it's about a future society where people basically you just have mobs of people who get upset and censor all the things that upset them. I mean that that's what it is. If you read Fahrenheit 451, that's essentially America in the the Facebook Twitter age. Maybe the whole world where it's just, you know, that offends me, that offends me. I don't like him. I don't like her. Whatever it is that I'm going to use social media to stamp it out of existence. If you haven't read that book in a while, you should go back and read it because it is eye-opening in the context of modern America. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Caller, Karen, you're up. Hello. I don't choose to use social media. Uh, let's take the example of uh, if the South won the Civil War. Well, they would never really win the Civil War because they were so outnumbered in everything. But if 
the Honorable General Robert E. Lee had won Gettysburg, he would have been in a position to get the United States to call an end to the war, and the South would have still been sure. slave states, which Abraham Lincoln would have left it like if they hadn't all started the Civil War. You know, you're right. Uh, you know, the interesting thing about that is there are so many questions. I mean, there, there are so many points where maybe history goes one way or maybe it doesn't, like these, these, these little pivot points. And it's, it's fascinating to talk about them. And, and I, I think when we do talk about them, we can sort of illuminate the parts of history that actually did happen. And that's why I think shows like this Confederate could be interesting. Now, I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this Confederate show we're talking about, it's, it's HBO. It's an alternate history uh, for, you know, maybe the, the South actually won the Civil War and what modern America would look like. That's my understanding of the show. Now, it hasn't. It's in its infancy. At this point, my understanding is basically just a concept that people want it banned. And I guess they want it banned because it deals with slavery. And it deals with slavery like like slavery existing in America into the modern age. And I guess that upsets people. But And, and, and I could see where, where maybe a, a sensitive subject like that could be mishandled. I could see where maybe maybe the writers could make a mistake with that and offend a lot of people and, and, and produce something that is truly offensive. But my point is, is we don't know. And even if we did know, the solution isn't to, is to, to bully a company like HBO into not even producing it in the first place. I, I, I don't know when we became, as, as a society, so afraid of information, so afraid of dissent and disagreement. How, how do we get this way? I, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with social media. It, it's rubbed in our faces more than ever before. And it's just it's just our natural reaction now. It's just a lash out to attack. Attack that business we don't like. Attack that person we don't like. Attack that company we don't Whatever it is. This is just who we are now. We it, it, it has been this social media is is perhaps the purest form of populism available to us, and it's ugly. It's ugly, and it doesn't lead to good things, generally. Not when it comes to stuff like this. I, I don't know. I mean, is, do you remember a point in time, Natil, where, where we just got scared of disagreement? I can't pinpoint a time, but it's something that I've seen really coming to a head in in my lifetime because when I was I gosh I guess I was in late middle school is when the internet started becoming a thing that was just in people's homes all the time and we started with social media back in those days it was MySpace but Facebook came pretty quickly after it but at that point in time it wasn't it wasn't like this because you still had to go talk to people face to face I mean, you know, kids were bullying each other online from the very start, but that was yeah. stuff that that's a that's a whole nother ball game. I don't know where the shift happened that created the situation that we're in now where something that happens on a local level can suddenly blow up to something that is getting national, international attention without anything more than a, a five second video clip. Or one headline. 
I started the blog going on 14 years ago now. And that was before Facebook, before Twitter, before MySpace. And I have seen an evolution even within the lifetime of the blog where it went from people being, well, you know, I disagree with you or, you know, you. I mean, and there, there were always trolls and there were always jerks. And that is what it is. But I, I have seen an evolution even within the lifetime of the blog to where it's it's not just disagreement anymore. It's you're evil. We're going to get you fired. You know, we, we want to hurt you financially or even you know at times unfortunately hurt you physically i i mean it is it is ramped up very quickly and it's getting worse and i think it's something we've got to think about anyway we're going to switch topics in the next segment we're going to talk a little bit about budget forecasting in the state of north dakota if you want to join in 701-293-9000-888-970-9329 this is the rob report on 970 wday am and 93.1 fm don't go away Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Rob Port back here uh, for another segment. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Talking now with uh, UND economist David Flynn. Now, David, I obviously the budget situation in North Dakota has been rough for the last couple of cycles. A big part of that equation, I mean, obviously everybody knows a lot of it's oil. A lot of it's I mean, oil and egg prices, commodity prices. I mean, that's basically the issue. That's what's been driving it. Prices crashed. Uh, that had a profound impact on the state's bottom line through all sorts of different revenue streams. But I, I, I think a big problem is is the state's ability to sort of forecast what was going to happen. And it, it, it's not just on the way down. It was on the way up, too. I remember, I think it was the 2013, 2014. 50, or maybe it was the one before that. I forget. But one biennium, we literally we underestimated revenues by like a billion dollars. And then going the other way, we underestimated revenues or uh, overestimated revenues by about a billion dollars. So, I mean, it's it's been not good figuring out how much in money the state's going to take. And it's very not good when legislators aren't so much spending money they already have, but are spending money that they're forecasted to have. So if the forecasts aren't accurate, then the best political leaders in the world aren't going to be able to budget correctly. So you testified at before the legislature last week about this issue. Tell us about that. What's what's going on? Well, I think you're making exactly the same kind of points I was making. This goes back much longer than than just the last two rounds of the budget. Uh, we've we've seen pretty consistently that the forecast process is broken in the state of North Dakota. Uh, we're either grossly underestimating revenues or we're grossly overestimating revenues and from a from a budgeting perspective uh that's obviously bad on the expenditure side but from a perspective that i think is near and dear to many people's hearts which is tax reform uh, as we hear that going forward you know hopefully at the national level at some point but but even at the state level if if you're getting more than you expected to get wondering why, and then engaging in the meaningful process of tax reform uh, would be an excellent, excellent use of legislative time, uh, particularly when one by any, we, we actually, it was more to the tune of uh, 
a 40% underestimation, almost $2 billion extra in, uh, in revenues uh, that, that we got that we had not anticipated, uh, you know, in, in terms of the budget. And so that was my, my message was you need many voices. We need a very transparent process such that the general public is included and allowed to comment on things. Businesses are allowed to comment on things. Legislators should comment on them. If you want to include academics uh, and, and forecasters such as myself, the private sector, I, I believe that there is a little bit of a wisdom of the of crowds uh, that can come sure. from this. That there are lots of different perspectives to consider and and to to bring into into the process. Well, I, and we can. I mean, no process is going to be perfect because these are Correct. hugely <laughs> complex things, and and sometimes things happen which are unpredictable. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's, I mean, there's that. We, we can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. But we certainly see this in, for instance, like political polling, right, where mm-hmm. we see a lot of people who are turning to sort of an average, rather than hanging your hat on any one given pollster, sort of going to, to like maybe maybe a, a, an average of the polls plus some other data points to try to reach something approximating a more accurate guess, which at the, at the end of the day is what all of this is. Um so I, what, what sort of questions are the lawmakers themselves asking? I mean, did you get the sense that, that they perceive this as a problem that needs to be fixed? Absolutely. I, I, uh, I received, uh, you know, there, there were many presentations uh, besides just me. OMB was there. Uh, various other groups were, were making presentations about the, the forecasting process or what was their outlook for what was going on. Um, the, the questions I got focused on things like the time horizon to use. Uh, one of the points that I made to the legislators was that we really shouldn't be looking at just a biennium in terms of the forecast horizon, that understanding that things become less and less accurate as we go forward further and further out in time, uh, you, you still would want to know if the forecast model is suggesting that not in this biennium, but in the next one, there would be a sudden drop or a sudden increase in revenues. Why is that? Uh, you know, the, the legislators obviously have, a, have an obligation to plan for the, the particular biennium that we're in, sure. but they should know going forward if there are good and or bad times predicted to be on the horizon and why, and maybe there's a reason uh, that they can do something or should do something about that at the time. I, th- I think that's a really, really good point, because one of the great mysteries of, to me, of like the last, you know, four budget cycles is we obviously we had an oil boom going on. Everybody was talking about it all the time. And we saw this tidal wave of revenues and the lawmakers spent it all. Right. I mean, they, they spent a lot of that money and created ongoing but i know a lot they tried they said it was one time spending but a lot i'm sorry a lot of it just wasn't it was it created ongoing obligations for the state which is why when those revenues disappeared it was such a such a headache and and my question is is do you do you feel like because they're really just looking at a biennium at a time that's why they felt comfortable spending those huge surpluses without really thinking hey is is this level of revenue really sustainable I, I think that contributes to it. I mean, there, there are a couple of things. The the fact that before the the oil price collapsed, that every uh, forecast prior to that had essentially underestimated revenues, I think, gave legislators a false sense of security about where the budget uh, forecast was really uh, at. It was 
just just inaccurate before. But I think the fact that, yes, you're only considering this two-year time horizon without an eye further down the road, that, that you really just don't get any sense of this. And I, I pointed out that other states actually have interesting processes, I'll, I'll pick on Minnesota, where Minnesota comes up with, within their OMB-type entity, Minnesota has a group that forecasts revenue and a group that forecasts expenditures. And so that was another part that I brought up, the, the ongoing expenditures that, that you're going to be committed to and why they may or may not increase, decrease, stay the same, uh, is a separate thing that they're doing uh, over in Minnesota as well. And so to your point, you get a sense of where these monies will need to be uh, sent at any given moment in time as well as then whether or not you're having sufficient revenues to meet those those projected spend expenditures. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. That makes a lot of sense to so not just have projected revenues, but also projected expenses beyond, you know, the, the next biennium. I mean, we see that a lot yep. where, you know, the lawmakers, they'll, they'll, they'll have some spending bill and we'll see, you know, maybe the next two bienniums but not mm-hmm. anything beyond that. And I, I think it's worth maybe saying, well, if we're going to look at this, we ought to have fiscal notes attached that go beyond that and, and understand what, what are the long-term costs of these policies because I think sometimes the, 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 the lawmakers try to make those decisions, but a lot of times I get the sense that because they don't have the data in front of them, that doesn't really become uh, enough of a part of the, the discussion about any given spending. And and I think I think what you and I are talking about right now isn't even really so much policy, right? I mean, everybody's got no. their preferences on, you know, we ought to spend this, we shouldn't spend that, we ought to tax this way, we shouldn't tax that way. We could talk about this. I, I think what you and I are talking about is we need to understand what the impact of these policies are long term so that when we're making the decisions on these policies, we can understand what their impacts are going to be. Now you said you you're you're sort of talking about like a like an index of 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 data and and points of view on this yeah. process. I mean, do you specifically have a model in place that that you could propose to the? I mean, did you propose a, 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 like a model for this? No, I didn't propose a specific model. I we are uh, I am working on a, a specific model right now. In fact, and uh, we'll have it ready to go probably at the end of the month with some very basic things here. But to your point, you're exactly right. I mean, we're not even talking about the finer points or of of your stance on policy. This is just trying to help every policymaker, whatever their stance, understand better what they've got in front of them as far as data, and that goes to the transparency point that I made, which was. You, you want to know what the assumptions are. Every model is going to be inaccurate to some degree. Every model is going to have to make assumptions. Lay bare what the assumptions are, uh, and so we have a better understanding. We, the public, uh, we, anybody who's working in, in the forecasting realm, and, and the legislature can have an understanding of where this is is uh, you know going and why you assume it. If it's a assumption that there's a an uptick in births or a downtick in births or the North Dakota, uh, you know, stays the same level with, with fertility rates. Well, that means expenditures are likely to stay the same in this program. I, that's incredibly important and incredibly valuable information for legislators to have, not just about the current biennium, but about the next, the next, the next, and, and whatever we think the right time horizon is. If it's 10 years, if that seems like the right degree, you know, if it's 20 years, uh, you know, understanding that, again, these things are, these, these long-run ones are, are there more for, for trend, 
more for, for general consumption, not a set in stone. But then we get to update them. That's the beauty. I mean, you know, whether you like CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, uh, or not, I mean, the beauty is that they every year, six months, they issue these reports where they're updating. And so you can go back and look and see what changed in the last, Six months in their projection for the future and why. I mean, it's a fantastic tool that we should be using in this state uh, as we go forward. Well, a lot of times the process is as important as the policy. I've always believed that. If you have a mm-hmm. good process in place, then it produces better policy. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I, I hope we get there. I hope we could see some changes in, in this process because the one thing I don't think any of us wants is to go through another up and down roller coaster ride with the budget like we just went through because. Again, it touches on everything else. I mean, what what mm-hmm. the state does is what the government does is spend money, and they spend money on programs. And we can debate what those programs are, but we can't make good decisions about those programs unless we have a good budget process. David, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you, Rob. That's David Flynn, UND economist. I'm Rob Port. We'll wrap up the show right after this. Uh, breaking news right now, by the way. Communications director at uh, Mr. Scaramucci. I after ten days. Washington Post reporting, he's out, apparently. Uh, folks, it couldn't get weirder if we tried. More to come straight ahead. Don't go away. Rob Report on 970 WDAY AM and 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Well, the deal, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, after uh, 10 days, has been uh, he's been removed from his position as communications director. And what a, what a wild 10 days that was. Yeah, I didn't get to make nearly enough Queen references. Yeah, I, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna ask you if you knew about that. That he was. Uh, that he, his name was from uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, or I guess that's not where his name is specifically. But Bohemian, uh, it's got that uh, Scaramouche. Scaramouche, can you do the Fandango? And uh, a Scaramouche is actually a little skirmisher. It's a stock character from Italian cinema. Um, and it, it, yeah, little a skirmisher. I, I think is probably the right uh, right term for this guy because that's certainly what he was doing. Ten ten days. For this communications director. And, and Trump was just on Twitter, like, what, yesterday? Saying everything's fine? In his administration, there's no chaos? Yeah, n- nothing is fine. <laughs> there, there is apparently at least a small amount of chaos. I mean, I mean, if, if chaos, and, and listen, I, 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 I wrote about this in a print column not that long ago where I said people sent Trump to Washington, D.C. to create chaos. So if, if chaos is the goal then I, I don't know, maybe you could see this as a positive, but I'm, I'm not sure that Trump needed chaos like among his own staff. I don't know. I just, I, I, there's just nothing left to say about Trump anymore. I just don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm, I'm at a loss for words, which is a pretty rare condition for me. I just don't know where else to go with it. Ah, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY. Dot com. I guess the um, question is, who's the third stringer in this case? Who's the third yeah. string communications? I don't know. Representative. I don't I don't know what they're going to do. Well, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to have a very special episode of The Apprentice. And we're going to invite Kid Rock and Sarah Palin and a bunch of other 
political celebrities in, and we're going to have an, an episode. We're going to broadcast it live, and uh, and then whoever the winner is will be the next communications director. You know, I don't think that Kid Rock would do a terrible job as a communications director. At this point, we couldn't do much worse, right? I mean, he's going <laughs> to drop some f, but he's going to drop some f bombs and well, stuff like that. Yeah, but-, but you just you just you know you go into that knowing that there's got to be an eight second delay and you got to have a bleeper on the ready. But at least he has you know some experience talking to people. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should just give up trying to block the curse words. I mean, are we protecting anybody at this point? I don't know. Every kid in America has access to YouTube where they've all heard the word. You're, we're not we're not protecting anybody anymore with the bleeper. We're just not. I'd start I'd start right now on the radio, except I'd probably get fired. Okay, but, please don't, because I, I yeah. only only have so much. <laughs> I could I could put your uh, your beeping uh, finger to the. The test. And I don't bleep you. I just dump you, and then you I shut you me. off. I have I have a button <laughs> that just shuts you off all the way. Wow. Well, I guess I can't make fun of you anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I don't know. I don't know what to make of Trump. I mean, there comes a point. I mean, I, I get it. You know, he's a different sort of leader. We had Kramer on last week, right? And that was something I asked about the tweet thing, because he announced the trans, you know, the ban on, on transgender uh uh, men and women serving in the military on Twitter, he kind of blindsided his own administration. And and the argument I was making there is is even even setting the policy aside, there is an argument to be made that this is not a very effective way to be a leader. When you're undermining your own people, you're undermining your own administration, are you going to be able to achieve the goals that you want to achieve by doing that? And you know, I'm not so, you know, Kramer kind of put his spin on it or whatever, that, that Trump's an unconventional leader. But the, I think there comes a point where it's not, this isn't unconventional leadership. This is just incompetence. This is just not knowing what you're doing. And at this point, I, I'm not even really sure what goals it is Trump wants to achieve at this point. His political philosophy is difficult to define. His policy goals seem to change they seem very amorphous outside of some sort of talking points he's been shouting at rallies about like a border wall and stuff like that there's not a lot concrete that's even in his platform so i'm not even really sure what this guy's trying to achieve other than i i guess just sowing chaos attracting attention to himself is that what we're doing and don't get me wrong i mean we've those of us from, from a limited government perspective have gotten some wins under trump you know, the, the, the slash and burn through Obama-era regulatory policies that happened in the first 100 days and beyond have been great. I think it's a lot of the reason why the economy seems to be responding to it at this point. I, I think that proves a lot of what conservatives say about the impact of heavy-handed government regulation on the economy right. But the rest of it, my gosh, Trump's his own worst enemy. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. I'll be sticking around for that, so stay tuned. You can always catch me here 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday or 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again. With a short skirt and a long.